Conversations with Rudy, bringing back a familiar guest, also from Birds on the Black, Kyle Reese. How are you tonight, Kyle? I'm uh, I'm good. I'm a little worn out, uh, and I'm ready to talk about minor league baseball just a couple days away. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it felt only right to have you on this edition since minor league baseball is coming, barring any unfortunate, unforeseen circumstances. Uh, it is back as of this coming. Tuesday. May the 4th be with you, my friend. Ah, may the 4th be with you and Daniel Shaptaw, who better be listening to this. Right, right. <laughs> so the minor leagues are going to have a bit of a new look this year and a new feel this year. Um, there's only going to be four leagues as compared to um, six to seven, depending on which major league organization you root for. Um, so we're still going to have AAA closest to the majors. That's going to be Memphis for the Cardinals. Double uh, A is the next closest step to the majors. Still going to be Springfield for the Cardinals. Um, will you talk about the changes below Double A for the Cardinals? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, sorry. Yeah. So the big change is that uh, switching from low A to high A is Peoria. Peoria goes from low A to high A, and then Palm Beach goes from high A to low A, which makes a lot of sense when you think about it, specifically because the two short season clubs no longer exist. Uh, the GCL does and the DSL does. But it makes sense to have your lowest full season affiliate level at your spring training and minor league complex. And that's uh, how it lines up for the Cardinals by moving Palm Beach down to the, the low A. And that's pretty well uniform across Major League Baseball, bleeding into Minor League Baseball. And unfortunately, that means for people in State College um, that State College is no longer affiliated with the Cardinals. Um, I am completely blanking on the other one. Uh, who Johnson, else is no longer? Johnson City. Johnson City, Tennessee. Yeah, Johnson City is no longer affiliated either. And, and that's just it's terrible for, for those communities. But... Uh, let's try to keep this positive tonight because minor league baseball is back for the first time in what did you write the other day on Twitter? Twenty months? It's a, you know give or take some days. If I'm doing the math right, which I'm certainly not, uh, we should probably have the math teacher do the math. But you have to figure that aside from the Arizona Fall League, the last time a minor league baseball game was played would have been the middle part of September of 2019. Uh, that's when the minor oh, league man. playoffs would have ended. Um, but yeah, if if you're not counting the Arizona Fall League, which I am not, then you're talking about September of 2019. Man, that just 
And I feel like with COVID time, that just seems even even longer ago. <laughs> yeah, you have to double double the time at least. Right. So it's it's been at least you know three good calendar years, right? Yeah. Um. So before we get into more minors, uh, because I know that's what everybody's going to listen for anyway. Um, just to talk a little bit about uh, about Cardinal baseball that's going on. Uh, my last couple podcasts, I had I had Zach Silver, and so uh, I just kind of got to know him a little bit. We talked a little current Cardinals, but I haven't really talked a ton about the actual Cardinals, what's going on this season since it started almost. Um, Yadier Molina started out ridiculously hot. Um, he got hurt, and then the team kind of went on a run after he went down. Uh, I think the biggest change has been starting pitching. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody really thought those first two to three times through the rotation, those first 10 to 15 games, was going to be indicative of the full season. Um, looking at it now, I don't think that anybody really believes that what they've done in the last 13 or 14 games is going to be indicative of the rest of the season either. Um, their current uh, current stats after 28 games with a 16 and 12 Cardinals record, um, the starters are 11 and 10. Uh, they have averaged just over five innings and outing and have a 3.8 ERA. Um, is that about what you'd think they would do this year? I didn't know what to think. Just like with the lineup, you know, I, I don't know what to think about any of it, Ben. I, I thought they'd be okay. I, you know, about a four ERA, if I guess if I had to nail it down or narrow it down at the beginning of the year, yeah, something close to that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that right now what we are seeing is just what we all could have possibly hoped for. We, I don't think you could hope for anything more than, than what you're seeing. You know, I, I yeah, I'm just going to end it with that because that's, that's where my mind is at. I, I couldn't have imagined seeing Carlos Martinez pitch the way that Martinez has pitched over the last two starts. I didn't think he'd be bad, but I didn't think he'd be this good. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I thought that Wayno would be okay. But again, it's the question of what's going to happen with Wayno. When does it fizzle out? Does it fizzle out? Do you have a couple more years of it? You know, Flaherty's pitched about how I thought Flaherty would. And then, you know, entering the year, not knowing when Kim was coming back or if Kim would come back and how he'd look and Oviedo and Gant. Like, to me, this is even with the struggles, just the average of the good times and bad times, it really feels like the best case scenario to me. Okay. I think I'm probably a little rosier than that. I feel like this is about what I would have pictured uh, on average. Now, obviously it can get a little tainted when in the last 13 games, they've averaged six innings and outing and have an ERA just barely over two in that time. Um, so this is obviously way more than than I would have expected, but yeah, but yeah, I, I feel like I feel like their ERA should be a bit under four if they're only going five innings, yeah. you know, an outing. That if you are kind of saving that third time through the order on a few of the guys, that it's going to keep that ERA a little bit lower, and that's kind of kind of what I expected this year. Not only with the starters they have going, with you know Ponce. Uh, and Gantt moving to the rotation for part of it with Kim coming back from injury with Martinez coming back from whatever we want to call those last two years. And with Michaelis not even coming back from injury yet, but once he gets back, you know, you're thinking that 
he may not go too deep into games that that yeah the ERA might be low but it might come at a cost of bullpen um, and, and that's kind of what it's been at so far so so I feel like it's average out to be about what I thought I feel like best case scenario is closer to than these closer to these last two weeks than not but I feel like worst case scenario is probably closer to the first two weeks rather than what we saw in the last two weeks. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I, I'm yeah. with you about it being the middle ground. It's probably the the most realistic or I, a sustainable average throughout the year, you know, it could be this, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so let's shift gears to the, to the bullpen. Um, with the exception of the unfortunate, uh, the pitch last night, Hicks going down. Um, hopefully that's, Nothing major, but it doesn't sound good from the little bits I've seen. This is, We were talking before we got on the air that it's been a busy weekend for me, so I don't know exactly what all has been said about Hicks, but it didn't seem good from what Gould was saying, at least, or from some tweets I saw about what's going on with him. But other than that, bullpen, by and large, has been just flat-out interesting. Yeah. I feel like... Yeah. No. They don't give up many hits. They give up a ton of walks, which is scary in and of itself, especially late in games. Very electrifying numbers, but the walk numbers scare me a bit. Yeah, I couldn't say it any better. It's been fun to watch Ryan Helsley. You know, personally, he's one of my favorite players on the team, one of my favorite prospects for all those years. I'll always be disappointed that Ryan never got a chance to be a starter, but to watch him rediscover what he had pre-COVID – has been a really, really fun thing for me to watch Alex Reyes walk a tightrope, but to still have really great stuff, even though he's walking a bunch of guys, is breathtaking uh, for both the good and the bad meaning of breathtaking. Yeah, he's uh, thrown a couple of curveballs that I think made my knees buckle when I was sitting on a couch. <laughs> it's a, um, yeah, he's a monster. Uh, so Ryan Helsley, yeah... I, very he started off the year rough. Like I felt like those first two to three outings, that first week when Schilt was throwing them like every day. Yeah. But he seemed like he wasn't quite ready for that. And he looks in a groove now. Like he looks solid. I agree. Uh, you know, I haven't uh I haven't zoned in on his mechanics the way that I normally would. I've been trying my hardest when I'm watching the Cardinals play to not over exert myself. I just want to watch Cardinal baseball. I'm tired of dissecting every little thing. I just want to watch Cardinal baseball and enjoy it. But it seemed like he was being really protective of his body, of his arm in particular. And it seemed like his arm had slowed down quite a bit. So, you know, even when your arm slows down, you can still throw the ball 96 miles an hour. And what I feel like I'm seeing now is he's got that speed back in his arm and when you're as strong and as powerful as he is, you know, from a core standpoint, from a lower half standpoint, and you're speeding up your arm, you're not doing damage to it when you're using your body the way that he uses his body. And it just seems like his mechanics are in sync in that way. And uh, that's been the difference, in my opinion. It's helped his command. It's helped his velocity, control, all of that stuff. And also, and I'd love for somebody to do the research on this, but I feel like he's using his entire repertoire Maybe a little bit more than he has in the past, but again, I, I again, I'm not, I'm not analyzing the game like I used to. That's a total guess. All right, remind me real quick, just so I know what to look for in the next week when I'm just dinking around on Statcast. What was it that you always 
wished he would use more from the minors that he wasn't in the majors? Both the curve and the change. You know, for the most part, he's been a fastball cutter or fastball slider, depending on how you want to call right. it. Uh, but right. I want he's a four. He has the potential. It's not fair to say he's a four four pitch pitcher, but he has the potential to have two plus pitches in the fastball and the cutter and two average to flashing above pitches in the changeup and the curveball. And I don't feel like I've seen him throw the curveball at all, but I feel like he's throwing the changeup more. And again, I could be wrong about all of this. All right, so here's the numbers. Um, it looks like he threw the curveball like 17% of the time last year, and it's down at like 8% this year. Um, change up 4% of the time last year, and it's at 5 this year. So slightly more on the change up, but a lot less on the curve. Looks like he's got going a lot more four-seam fastball heavy. Good. Um, he's added about 10% to that fastball. The four seamer. I wonder what the number is with Yachty and Kids. That's like that's what I'd love to know. And I know that he has yeah. he's thrown so much more to Yachty than Kids, but uh, I just love to know specifically. Like you said, you know he, Henesis, Giovanni Gallegos, and Tyler Webb were used like every game for the first ten games of the season. So, you know there isn't as much of a, a sample to go on with him and Kids as there is for him and Yachty. But uh, right. it just it's been nice. I root for that kid. He's a good kid, a good guy, uh, a hard worker, and it's awesome to see him get his, you know, his stuff back together. Yeah, yeah, it's been really, it's been really fun to watch. Um, speaking of fun to watch, um, not Hennessy's Cabrera's outing against mm-hmm. the Phillies, but this this series against Philadelphia, uh, against Pittsburgh, I feel like in those two innings, he looked as electric as I've seen him. Like he's looked what you'd hope for going for a Tommy fam, you know, yeah. that uh, I feel like the Cardinals have identified pitching talent so well in the last few decades, really that I was waiting to see the stuff that they saw with Cabrera. Obviously his command has been rough for the entire time we've had him, but I think it's been easy to see the stuff flash those two innings the other night, I feel like the stuff just kind of all came together and he commanded it much better. Um, and if we're going to quote unquote, win the Tommy fam trade, which who knows, I mean, who knows what he would have done here and what he would have done if he would have stayed in Tampa and all that. But I feel like Hennessy's has to be a big part of it. Um, and, and seeing what he did against Pittsburgh, I did get to see those two innings that night. That was, that was quite impressive to me, especially bouncing back from what happened. Uh, I don't know if it was the night prior or two nights prior. I think that at this point, he's the only way that you quote-unquote win the Tommy Pham trade. Uh, It is funny because by nearly every measurable statistic, besides on-base percentage, Justin Williams has been better than Tommy Pham this year, as bad as Justin Williams has been. You know, that's kind of a fun (laughs) little thing. But, um, yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of pressure falls on Hennessy's Cabrera for that that very reason. Uh, but yeah, look, the Cardinals in general have a hit batsman problem. All of these guys are hitting yes. people, and you know that that might actually give them an advantage in the long run because it's all of the pitchers hitting everybody all of the time, uh, and it you know it doesn't look intentional, even though some teams think it's intentional in the moment. But I bet it's going to be hard for a, you know some batters to maybe dig in 
the Cardinals aren't afraid to pitch inside. So it probably works in their advantage a little bit, but it'd just be really nice if they stop hitting people specifically in the facial area. Yeah, if they could keep that down uh, just a little bit east or west of the strike zone range, uh, put them in the ribs or something if you're going to hit them. Um, I'd rather not hit anybody, just, you know, get weak contact and strikeouts, but that's just me. Um, so let's talk about two more batters before we go to – or talk about two batters, I guess, before we go to minor league stuff. Uh, one is uh, your impressions about what you've seen out of Nolan Arenado so far as a Cardinal. He's amazing. Oh, you know, like, it feels the same kind of with Goldie, but a little bit flashier, you know? He's just, he's solid. He's solid, and things just seem easy to him. And granted, he isn't blowing the world apart, but he is super fun to watch. Like, even his at-bats, there's a difference in the type of at-bats he takes than the string of players we've had come through uh, a lot of the rookies that I've written about and a lot of the free agent signings here or there or trade partners over the years, like there's a professionalism and you know, not this goes beyond just what he does, the type of work he puts in outside, just when he's on the diamond specifically in his at bats, there's a type of professionalism in each at bat that only comes when other pitchers are somewhat scared of you. And uh, only, like, the elite hitters have that. And that's how we see Goldschmidt. Not elite, but the top tier, uh, you know, top 5 to 10% of hitters have that. You know, we've seen that with Goldschmidt in the past. And I think we're seeing that with Nolan Arenado. He's just so much fun and uh, dynamic. And I, I feel like we get to see that dynamic on a regular basis. And I think the best part of it is, like, yeah, he has been awfully fun to watch. Like, just pure enjoyment factor is at like a 10 out of 10. I don't even think he's played all that well yet as far as like compared to what he has done in the past. Taking Coors numbers, whatever, out of it, like he's made two errors on balls just coming in on the ball straight at him. And, you know, he doesn't do that. And he's got like an infield fly ball percentage of like 4 million percent right now or 18 or 20 percent or something like that right now. And it's just like Okay, I get it. He, he might be pressing a little bit or trying too hard, and and he has still been one of the most fun players to watch on the team, and that's just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's really cool to have a guy like that on the team. It's 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 fun to to have that experience again. Uh, not at the ballpark because I'm in Kansas City, so I don't get to see him. But but just to have that kind of player on your team that you love, you know. Yeah, he he made that one error playing shortstop you know, in the shortstop position on the ball that was hit like right to him. And that, you know, that cost it a run or two. That was in uh, Flaherty's second to last start where he's got a bunch of unearned runs, but still had a quality start. And when, when it bounced and he didn't corral it, you know, playing the shortstop position 45 feet away from where he normally plays, you were still like shocked by it. It was still alarming and arresting. You were like, whoa, hold on a second, man. Are you okay? Did, it, did something you know, did somebody? He's hurt. Get the trainer out there. <laughs> exactly. Did, did, did a couple hog molly defensemen set a screen on you? Like, what happened? <laughs> then that's that goes. That's just to say how good he is. He's just so good. Yeah. Um, so speaking of so good, the player that I think has been maybe the best of these so good players this year has been Dylan Carlson, a guy who you have talked about a lot in the past, as you know, 
uh, patron prospects number two of prospects after dark and and all that 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 I mean it just seems like he's been in the organization you know in the team forever and he's been in the organization a while but not on the team exactly um so tell us about what's going on with Dylan Carlson's season did did you expect this in his first full rookie season or you kind of surprised by what's going on or is this just kind of who he's always looked like and this is the natural progression I didn't expect a 147 WRC plus or or 140 OPS plus at this point or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. I thought he'd be closer to, to league average, and that could end up happening over the next couple months. He's always been the kind of guy to hang in there as long as he possibly can until he gets a feel for things, and that's usually when he busts out. Like, every time I've ever written about him, even when I wrote about him as the number one prospect on the Dirty 35, I said, just give him a little bit of time. Let him get his legs underneath him. He might not wow you at first. He might just be holding on, and you might think maybe this kid doesn't have it, and then he'll bust out. And I didn't take into account that he would get pitched so freaking hard to start his career, not just in 2020, but at the beginning of 2021. And that almost works against the league in the long run because <laughs> he's never going to get pitched harder than he did to start his career. And yeah. now everything, he's made the adjustments. He's learned from all that. Everything is just him going about his business now. And I didn't expect any of that. So, you know, will he continue the 140 OPS? I, you know, if you're a betting man, you would say no, that's OPS plus that is. Uh, you would say no, that's probably unrealistic. But where at one point I thought that, you know, maybe you're talking about a 110 OPS plus, WRC plus, you know, one of those, like, 120 is attainable and realistic and with a 140 upside. And that's uh, that's incredible. He just – and you can see it in his at-bats. And you could see it before he got moved to the two-hole. You know, I, I, I'm worried that some fans think that he's got this quote-unquote protection, which I think we're all starting to see is – a bit of a fallacy, but he has a protection in the two spot and that's why he's turned it around. He was turning it around before then. And that's the professional hitter that he is finally starting to see how he was being attacked and understanding it and feeling it. Uh, Cause feeling it in baseball is the important thing when you're up, maybe overly anticipating it gets you in trouble. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to bring up the fact that he was pitched so tough early in his career, but you beat me to it. But I feel like you could almost see last year, even in his first stint, when he had that awful, like 20 or 25 WRC plus, which for those of you regular stat speakers, we're, we're talking that's 80, 75 to 80% worse than league average in WOBA or, or OPS basically. And uh, with a little more on-base percentage tint, tilt to it, um, that when he was 75, 80% below league average in those stats for a short time, you could almost see that when he was up there at the plate, he was just kind of overthinking things. He was, but he was still putting together decent plate appearances. He was just missing balls. You know, he he was looking at that that O2 slider or that that. 2-1 or 3-1 curveball that he would have never seen in the minors and just kind of analyzing it and thinking, you know, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this. How am I going to combat that next time? 
and next time didn't go well, and then next time didn't go great, then next time went a little bit better, then next time went horribly, and then he got sent back down to the alternate site, and then he came up crushed um, once he had looked at those next times down at the minor league level a little bit more, or down at the alternate side a little bit more, and and I feel like that adjustment has just been over this year, and it's it's been incredible to watch. Um, I think defensively, too, he's been a lot better in center than I thought he would be. Um, still not great. I'm loving having Bader and O'Neal back after all the errors in the outfield this year or lack of miss, lack of plays made in the outfield if they weren't called errors. Um, but Carlson was much better than I thought despite a few misplays. Um, so I think Carlson's – go ahead. No, I was going to say, the only misplay that I can think of is a miscommunication in right center field. But that's yeah. – it makes me wonder if that's a thing because that happens to Harrison Bader regardless of who the right center fielder is too. Um, yeah. But that's that's, that's a aside, so sorry. No worries. No, 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 no. That's a good point. I, I thought I remembered one in left field with Dean as well, but I can't remember if I was going to place that on Dean or – Bader or Carlson, I mean, but in any case, um, just those one or two misplays, and that's that's not terrible for this point of the year for a rookie center fielder that's really a right fielder. Um, so I think Carlson can be our bridge to the minors a bit. So in this past week, the St. Louis Cardinals have made their 20 plus man roster announcements for Memphis, Springfield, Peoria, and Palm Beach. I know I have not gotten to see them, but I know that you have written up Memphis, Springfield, and Peoria for birdsontheplaque.com. So everybody go there after you're done listening to this and check out what Kyle says. It's probably going to be some iteration of what he says here on the show, but he might have something different in there that catches your eye. Um, so the Memphis roster, um, let's just kind of go position group by position group a little bit and just tell us what really stands out to you. I'm going to list the names. Uh, they do have 16 pitchers listed at the AAA level uh, for everybody who hasn't seen this. Uh, we've got Jesus Cruz, Alex Vigalde, Junior Fernandez, Fernando Flores, Connor Jones, Evan Kuczynski, Matt Libertor, Johan Oviedo, who we've seen in the majors this year already and probably will likely be back with this whole six-man rotation for the 17-game stretch run. Um, Tommy Parsons, Johan Quezada, who is that giant left tackle that throws left-handed that we got over the offseason and we saw in spring training. Uh, Roel Ramirez, Angel Rondon, Ricardo Sanchez, Zach Thompson, Austin Warner, and Garrett Villian. Um, what stands out about that pitching staff to you? Uh, maybe outside of Thompson and Libertor, because I'm pretty sure we discussed them at length last time. We were on. You can maybe briefly touch on them, but I'd like to hear more about the thoughts of the deeper pitching staff as a whole. Well, first, let's give ourselves a pat on the back. We we had a good feeling that uh, you know both Libertor and, and Thompson would find their way to Memphis, and you know we we also cautioned people that Gorman was probably going to start at Springfield, even though he, just based on how things went. So we were right about that. That's the first thing I've ever been right about in my entire life. Uh, and the first thing that we've been right about uh, together on CWC. So uh, bravo to us. The other thing woo-hoo. is... Woo-hoo! Uh, just in that Notice case, I woohooed and I did not woo. I'm not, um, I'm not a fan of... The, I, I'm a fan of the Katie woo. I'm not a fan of the Cardinals fan woo. All right, continuing on. <laughs> I, uh, just in the pitching staff, 
there are a lot of really good pitchers there. It's probably, and, and you might have said it, I was looking up Johan Quezada because I thought he was a righty, and I just wanted to make sure he was a righty. Uh, but um, Ricardo Sanchez, I believe he had Tommy John surgery, so he should start the year on the IL, which will bring the pitchers down to 15. But, you know, my thought is, and this isn't just exclusive with the uh, the Memphis staff, but the Cardinals have a lot of left-handed arms. A lot of left-handed arms. And just here, you know, you're talking about Krachinski, Libertor, uh, Sanchez, Thompson, Warner, and Williams. All of those guys are lefties. Um, and, I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of left-handed, a lot of left-handed arms just one level away from the major leagues. I, you know, we've seen Royal Ramirez, we've seen Jesus Cruz, we've seen Junior Fernandez, um, we've seen Connor Jones in spring training. Uh, I'm ex- I'm anxious to see what kind of role a lot of these guys have. You know, obviously Cruz, Fernandez, Jones, um, Quezada, Royal Ramirez, all of those guys are going to be pitching out of the bullpen. I'm sure Austin Warner will be too, probably Garrett Williams. And then that would leave a rotation of something similar to like Alex Fagalde, uh, Evan Kurchinski, Libertor, Oviedo, Parsons. I mean, that's five right there, not including Angel Rondon and Zach yeah. Thompson. So, yeah. I, you know, the, I think I think one of the things that I said in the article, at every minor league level, the Cardinals have prepared themselves for multiple inning <laughs> relievers. And, and if I didn't put that in the article, I meant to. Uh, it's all a stream, of, a stream of nonsense. So, but, and I only, like, I know for sure that I brought up, they, they're in a position with all of their minor league levels to be able to protect their starters. You know, they'll be able to run with a six-man rotation in Memphis, even if Johan Oviedo is part of a six-man rotation in St. Louis. Uh, and also yeah. still have guys in, you know, Bernardo Flores, pardon me, Austin Warner and Garrett Williams, uh, that can cover multiple innings out of the bullpen. So uh, I guess I guess the way of summarizing it is they're deep. It's I tweeted out when they before they released it when I when I got a little snippet of what it was going to look like that the rotation, the staff at Memphis is heavy, uh, not weight wise, but just you know there's there's a lot a lot of arms there that you know whether they're major league arms currently last year or in the future, like there might only be one or two of these guys that will never reach the majors. Um, and that's, that's interesting to me. Yeah. So yeah, that was my mistake on Johan Quezada. He is a righty. I was thinking Bernardo Flores, yeah. who is a lefty. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking at that, you, you see Cruz has been in the majors. Fernandez has been in the majors. Uh, did Connor Jones make an appearance last year? Only in spring training. He remember. didn't. He didn't make it to the okay. majors. Yeah. Okay. So Oviedo's been in the majors. Tommy Parsons was good in the spring. Quezada's been in the majors. Roel Ramirez has been in the majors. Ricardo Sanchez has been in the majors. So yeah, just very heavy. And then, and then as you mentioned, a few more upper end prospects that that could get there. Um, so the pitching should be good in Memphis. And with the way the League has worked out this year. They're in more of a central location than they were last the last few years, if I remember correctly. And so they might get to play less games at altitude, and maybe that pitching staff's ERA looks incredible. Um, 
Yeah, they're technically what? in the uh, and they re, you know they used to be in the Pacific Coast League and right. minor league baseball, which is really major league baseball at this point. Decided it would be really cute to give these teams conference and division names based on location. So technically, they're in the Triple A Southeast Division. Okay, and and who does that mean that they get to see the most? Do you have that at hand or no? Oh boy, it's it's a lot of uh. Well, I know that the, one of the big difference is is they actually get to play Durham in in division, uh, and then other than that, I don't. Okay. I, I I would end up being wrong, okay. whatever I said. So. Okay, no worries then. Uh, I, I knew that. I'm pretty sure I saw that they they play less times out in like Las Vegas or yeah. Salt Lake or places where you know. Five and a half ERA is a good ERA. Um, Okay, so catchers. We've got Aaron Antonini and Dennis Ortega. Uh, I know you've talked a bit about Ortega in the past, him being on the Dirty 35. Uh, What do we know about this Antonini guy? Well, first off, when I start talking about the position players, and again, go to Birds on the Black, uh, I did my write-up, my quick little write-up for Memphis and Springfield and Peoria's rosters. And check those out. Uh, again, just like uh, Ben said a couple minutes ago, I've got, pardon me, additional thoughts in there too. But uh, I feel like you have to start, when you talk about the AAA roster, you kind of have to start by talking about Dennis Ortega. He's kind of a forgotten catching prospect in all this. He's buoyed back and forth off of not just the Dirty 35, but top 30 list. I mean, there was a time just a few years back where he was, a, I think, a top 20 or right at 20 on the Dirty 35 and ahead of Julio Rodriguez. And you thought to yourself, you know what? This is a really impressive guy. And then two years later, he's barely getting any playing time and he's dealing with the injuries. And you think, oh, well, I guess, you know, this goes to show you how quickly a prospect can fall from grace. And then you lose all of 2020 and then you enter 2021 spring training and like magically – Dennis Ortega is getting a lot of time with the big club, even in game, uh, at the end of games, and he's really impressive. And you're starting to see him rediscover or rekindle some of that prospect magic that he had. You know, it, it dawns on me as I say it out loud that some of these guys who have been dealing with nagging injuries, just like Dennis Ortega, they probably benefit the most from the break, regardless of what their background or upbringing or work ethic is. You know, specifically catchers, I think there's an argument to be made that if you have a healthy catcher, um, you actually get a chance to see what they're capable of as compared to a lot of other people. So I just I think it's really awesome to see a prospect like Dennis Ortega on the AAA roster kind of, you know, in a lot of ways, at least on the hierarchy depth chart, maybe not in the talent depth chart or the potential depth chart you know, leaping Julio Rodriguez and leaping um, uh, Yvonne Herrera. You know, he's not on the same level as Yvonne Herrera, but having catching depth in your organization is awesome. And when you're talking about a player with, you know, I hate talking about the ceiling, but a potential ceiling of Dennis Ortega, who is at the very least a part-time major league catcher at his ceiling, having that much catching depth is important in the organization. So, just uh, having a chance to tip your cap to Dennis Ortega for how he's worked is it, to get himself back is pretty awesome. Like that's that's really really cool in my book. Um, it, and 
yeah. tipping your cap not only to Ortega, but I think the Cardinals organization lately for, for the catching depth they've been able to produce when you can trade away a Carson Kelly and you can stash Andrew Kisner on the Memphis shuttle for a couple of years. And now he's up and you still have Ortega. And behind him, you have Herrera and Rodriguez. And behind him, you've got Pedro Pajes or Pages or however you pronounce it. And you've got behind him, Edgardo Rodriguez and Carlos Soto. It's it's kind of impressive. Um, speaking of impressive, that infield defense. Yeah. So the Card- the Memphis Redbirds have Raider Asensio, or Ascanio, sorry, uh, Evan Mendoza, Max Maroff, and Kramer Robertson. I wouldn't say Max Maroff is a defensive stalwart, but the other three, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, well, actually, I'm going to go on a limb and say they might screw Mendoza up by playing him at first. But Ascanio yeah. um, is the shortstop, yes. Uh, Mendoza third, I would assume. And then Robertson second, Maroff first. Uh, I I hope so. Uh, that's how I do it. I wouldn't be surprised if, like you know, to your point, Mendoza's at first more often than not. Uh, I also think there's an argument to be made that it's Lars Newtbar is an okay outfielder, but I don't think there's anything wrong with getting Lars Newtbar some time at first. He's not exactly the the fleetest of foot. Um, so yeah, like to me, that's probably how I would do it. Uh, I, I, get, and, I get, and John Nagowski has to be coming off the aisle at some point, and he could end up being the first baseman. He's a pretty darn good defensive first baseman too. Yeah, if I'm, I might be mistaken too, but he's down there, and that's uh, down there working with the team. And I'm not, uh, I'm not 100 sure, but I think, and this is where it also gets really interesting. You know, Tyler Heineman uh, is part of the taxi squad. Jose Rondon is part of the taxi squad. I'm sure that here and there. John Nagowski is going to be part of the taxi squad. When uh, Yadier comes back to the, the Cardinals, more than likely Tyler Heineman goes to AAA and Ali Sanchez goes back on the taxi squad. Uh, when, yeah. you know, like there's all these moving parts that aren't accounted for because of the taxi squad. And uh, right. that makes all of this really hard to assess and plan for. <laughs> and like even when I was writing, I was going back and forth about things, you know, I, I mentioned. Uh, Rondon and I mentioned um, Heineman being on the taxi, but like I was going to get into Nagowski and I decided, hey, I'm just let's let's stay out of that for now. But yeah, to your point, like I, there's reason to expect that Nagowski is going to be that he's going to be the first baseman down there. Mendoza is going to be at third, Escanio at short, Robertson at second, uh, at second, and uh, with Moroff as like the super utility player that he's meant to be. Gotcha. Um... And not only that, but the outfield defense could be quite stout as well. Um, if Newt Barr's not starting or if there's a DH for Newt Barr, you're looking at a starting outfield of Capel, Hurst, and Thomas, if I'm correct. And which one of those plays where? Because aren't they all great? Yeah. I, for me, you know, the, so Scott Hurst takes Lane Thomas' spot at the major league level, and then Scott Hurst is the defensive substitute in center field for the Cardinals that moves Dylan Carlson over to right field. And I get that because Carlson's going to be your right fielder long-term, and it's probably not a bad idea. And Hurst is more comfortable in center, and he's a good center fielder. So it probably makes more sense to get your long-term right fielder as much time in right without really compromising that much defense. Although I do think, even though Hurst is quicker than Carlson, I think Carlson's the actual better center fielder in the group. 
but we're not talking about Dylan because he's a major leaguer and he'll be a major leaguer for the rest of his career. Uh, in this group, uh, you have, at least in my opinion, you have to keep Lane Thomas in center until he blows that opportunity. I, I said in the article today when I was writing about Memphis that there isn't, and I, I've tweeted about it, but there isn't a player that needs the minor league season more than Lane Thomas. Uh, I understand people don't like him. Uh, I understand that he's been terrible and he hasn't played with confidence and he looks bad in the field and he looks bad at the plate. We've written about it a bunch and that he's always been a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde prospect where sometimes if his confidence is high, he looks like an elite outfielder, not an exaggeration either. He looks like a top end outfielder. And then when his confidence isn't there, he looks like trash. He looks like a A-level 25-year-old <clears throat> prospect. And again, I'm just calling it as it is. I don't mean that to beat up on the kid. But he needs minor league baseball. And this is the best thing for him. So you get him in center field. In center field. You get him in a position to succeed, even through his struggles. He's going to have to work through the mental side of the game because that's what's really dragging him down. And if he works through the mental side of the game, then, then you're in – I mean, for real, you're going to have a major leaguer back. But – so for me, if I'm doing it, if I'm aligning it, I'm doing Thomas in center, uh, and then probably Hurst in right and Capel in left, although Capel's arm's better, so probably Capel in right. Uh, the, the funny thing to me is, of Justin Turner, Scott Hurst, and Connor Capel, Turner being in Springfield, Hurst is the one I like in center the least, and I love Scott Hurst in center. <laughs> so take that for whatever it is. So Hurst is approximately 37th on Kyle Reese's depth chart in center field for the Cardinals, and yet he's a great center fielder. Uh-huh. Um, all right, so that basically rounds out the Memphis roster. Um, moving down a level to the Springfield Cardinals, double-A squad. Um, I know we have a lot of people who uh, follow Birds on the Black who hopefully are listening to this podcast in the Springfield area. Um, let's go through who Springfield has in, at their level to watch. It is a level, again, to me, that looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, a couple pitchers I've never heard of, a couple people yeah. that I, a couple pitchers that I would be um, drooling to see. Um, so let's go through their list. They have 15 pitchers Grant Black, uh, Jacob, and I'm going to butcher this last name, Bosiakovic, yeah. something like that. Uh, Patrick Dayton, Edgar Ed, Edgar Escobar, Edgar Gonzalez, Salvador Justo, Justo, uh, mm. Kyle Leahy. Uh, yeah, we we debated on that. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Pre, uh, we debated on that pre uh, airing of the episode, and I don't even remember which side I was going to fall on at this point. Um, Kyle Leahy, Andre Payante. I really want to hear more about again. Yeah. Um, Jacob Patterson, Dalton Roach. Griffin Roberts, who throws that Frisbee slider. Um, Domingo Robles. Alvaro Sejas, who has long been one of my favorites just to check numbers on uh, in the minors. I don't know why, um, but him and Edmundo Sosa have been kind of my my pet number-watching prospects for a while. Uh, Connor Thomas and Jake Walsh. Uh, Who do you see as the – if they go with the five- or six-man rotation, who do you see as the rotation? start there you know my guess would be that it would be payante griffin roberts alvaro sejas connor thomas and then i mean so you know edgar gonzalez was a college starter he started and relieved 
Jake Walsh was a college starter that he started and relieved in the Cardinals organization. He's coming off of an injury. I would say Jake Walsh would be the fifth. Um, I wrote in the article today that Domingo Robles, I think the Cardinals are hoping, is this year's version of Ricardo Sanchez. So I could see him being in the conversation to get some starts. And uh, other than that, well, uh, you know, the other, another interesting guy is Dalton Roach. A few years back when I was doing the position rankings, I put him as like one of the deep sleepers in the starting pitching category. He's fun. He was drafted by the Astros in the 21st round uh, a couple years back and then never made it, never pitched for the Astros was given his walking papers or didn't sign with them. I don't even know what the details were. Went and pitched for the River City Rascals locally, um, independent ball. And then, nice. the, then the Cardinals signed him. And I remember watching him pitch for Peoria a couple of years ago and being really impressed with him, gifting a bunch of his stuff and saying, keep an eye on this guy. We'll see where it goes. So hopefully he gets a chance to start too. But yeah, I guess uh, to, to run it back out, looking at that list, I would say um, Payante for sure. Hopefully Roberts for sure, Sejas for sure. The Cardinals are bullish on Connor Thomas more than I am, so for sure. And then, you know, either Dalton Roach or Jake Walsh would be my guess. Okay, fair enough. Um, do you think, uh, so Payante, um, I always get him and a couple others from that same draft confused. So will you uh, kind of level me out here? Uh, Payante, uh, Jack Ralston, who's in Peoria, and I forget the third one at the moment, but um, there are three that I always got confused. What do we like about Payante? Payante, uh, so he's one of these guys that's super decorated. He was a third-team All-American as a sophomore. He's played for Team USA's collegiate national team. Uh, he was a finalist for, like, best pitcher in college. His sophomore, his, either a sophomore or junior year, I don't remember. He And he's smart, and he's savvy, and he's command-first. And, you know, as a starter, he'll live in the mid-90s, low to mid-90s, probably live 90 to 92. In relief, he's hit 90s, you know, high 90s. Uh, what's really impressive about him is the late movement and his command of his pitches. He has late movement on his fastball. He has late movement on his changeup. He has late movement on his curveball. You know, I think late movement on his slider. Everything coming from a similar arm angle. You know, uh, he's just a polished and decorated pitcher. And he is smart. He's a very, very smart kid and uh, with, with high baseball IQ and the, the knowledge of how to use his stuff within counts. So for a fourth-round pick who lost a little bit of steam in his what was eventually his, his Cardinal draft year, um, he just... He does everything really, really well. It, and it all starts with knowing himself. And uh, I, I think that's half of the battle with a lot of pitchers, you know. And so, yeah, it just there's a lot of soft contact there. There's a lot of swing and misses uh, with all his stuff, uh, with, of course, the, the curveball being the pitch that needs the most work. But the fastball slider changeup, all three of those pitches, you know, even though he doesn't throw the fastball with a lot of heat, have a chance to be above average average to above at least all right so let's go down the random question path since i know you love that anyway yeah. um do you think just listening to you talk about him reminded me of how you talked about rondo yeah. last time we talked yeah. do you feel like he could be like the 2021 version of 2019 rondo i think the cardinals have three guys in the organization like this i think angel rondon andre payante 
and Ian Bedell from Mizzou, who we'll talk about here in a little Ooh. bit. I think all three mm-hmm. of those guys, and it's funny because Payante and Bedell are both fourth round picks. Now, the circumstances surrounding Bedell are a little different because of the five round 2020 draft. It cost almost twice the slot to sign him. Payante signed for just a round slot. Uh, but I think Payante and Bedell are a lot alike uh, with that. You know, the, they're smart pitchers who are devoted to the craft, who understand themselves, and who are athletic enough to continue to shape and mold themselves. Uh, but yeah, look, I, I think that uh, I think they're all kind of cut from a similar cloth. Awesome. Awesome. And those those are the kind of guys who are kind of the antithesis of what we were talking about earlier with the Cardinal bullpen, I think, with all the hit-by-pitches and walks. of The guys in our Cardinal bullpen at the moment, I feel like, have the stuff to be two or three starters in the majors if they can never put it all together and find the command. And yet, one, they don't. They don't have that command yet. Um, and two, uh, that pitch ability that we talked about the first time you were on this year about on CWC is just that pitch ability of knowing what to throw when and, and where to put it and being able to command it in that spot of the zone. These guys, to me, at least not seeing them as often as you do, just the way you talk about them feels to me to be kind of the antithesis of the Cardinals bullpen and, and almost the antithesis of the way Major League Baseball is moving at the moment. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it'd be very interesting to see what those guys do at the Major League level. Yeah, and it's uh, it's personified in a lot of Randy Flores' comments. He's talked often about zigging when other teams zag, you know, from a draft standpoint or from a preparation standpoint. So, you know, that all fits in. Um, you know, I, I I love this type of pitcher. I don't know what it means. I don't know if he'll stay healthy. I You know, he's got a lot of innings on that. Well, I guess not a lot of innings. He was a relief pitcher as a sophomore. But I just, you know, he's the kind of kid who you could definitely see maximizing all of his skills on his trip to the majors. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Um Okay, so I want to skip catcher for a second, and I want to move to the infield because I had a random, another random question. Does Double A typically have a DH? Uh, if I'm, ah, oh, man, I could be wrong, but Double A AA and Triple A were always, if it was in a National League park, a National League affiliated park, then it was pitchers hit, and if it was in an American League affiliated park, then the uh, the DH was implemented. But okay, because I see Luke and Baker and Juan Yepes on that roster, yeah. and I think I want both starting, but I don't want both in the field. <laughs> I give Juan Yepes a bunch of credit because he, and we wrote about it a bit today, but you know he worked hard to get his degree, and uh, he got his degree, I guess between 2018 and 2019, and. Then he rededicated himself to baseball, got himself in better shape, and that's when his stock really started to rise. That's when he started putting on weight, taking better approach. Uh, you could definitely see the, the the physical change as well as the mental change, and you also saw it on the field. To be honest, like I like Yepes out in the outfield. I like him in a corner outfield more than I really like him on the infield. But yeah, to your point, like for some reason, I thought that one of the rules moving forward was going to be that all of the minors had the DH, not just the low levels of the minors, but, uh, you know, I didn't do my due diligence and I don't know. Okay. And neither did I. Um, so we're batting a thousand. Um, 
Okay, so the rest of the infield rounding that out is Nick Dunn, who is a second baseman, mostly. Um, Nolan Gorman, who is mostly a third baseman. Delvin, Delvin Perez, who is mostly a shortstop. And Irving Lopez, who, if correct me if I'm wrong, plays everywhere. Mostly a second baseman. But, yeah, he can, I mean, okay. he'll play a little short, play a little third if he has to. Uh, does Dunn also play a little bit of third base? The Cardinals seem to do that with a lot of players. Yeah, as I wrote today, Nick Dunn is the poor man's version of Max Schrock. I mean, in every okay. every conceivable way. They look alike, they swing the bat alike, they have a similar approach. It's just that Dunn isn't as good as Schrock is. So you've talked a bit about how you would, if it was up to you, play Gorman a bit at short and a bit at third and a bit at second this year. Um, looking at the roster that he's on... Would you continue that trajectory, or do you think you would just go into third and let him play? No, that's exactly what I would do. I would still stick with that. I'd get him time in the outfield. I'd get him time at short. I'd get him time at second. I'd get him time at first. I'd move him around the diamond. I'd get him time in center. I mean, why not? But I think that the I don't think the Cardinals are going to do that. I think the Cardinals, you know, uh, I think Derek Gould tweeted or something that the plan is to have him start regularly at third, and then once he looks comfortable there, once the season gets going. Then he's going to move to second a little bit and maybe get some time out in a corner outfield. Uh, but to stay primarily at third until there's a need to move him to second. Gotcha. Okay. Um, at catcher, they do have Ivan Herrera. Uh, they have Julio Rodriguez. They also have Nick Raposo there. Um, I don't know much about him. Yeah. Is he pretty clearly the third catcher? So uh, as I was, you know, you start writing – and then when you do it the way that I do, where you're just writing what's on your mind, you forget little things. And I had forgotten to include that Julio Rodriguez is dealing with a Hammett issue. Oh, okay. So he's actually on the IL. He'll be on the IL to start the year, which means that uh, more than likely Raposo will be backing up Avon Herrera. But again, keep in mind that, you know, Yadi's probably not going to be out for very much longer, which means Ali Sanchez slides down and then Heineman slides down and then Antonini slides down. And then probably Raposo slides down and then, you know, <laughs> exactly. So there, there's still a lot of moving parts in that regard. But uh, yeah, Raposo is interesting. He's one of those guys that uh, is an undrafted free agent uh, out of the 2020 class. And not a guy I know a ton about, a guy I'm still coming to learn a little bit about. But I've had a few people that I've asked about him talk about him being a uh, a little, a little impressive, and definitely one of those guys who flew underneath the radar in the draft. Uh, throws right, bats right. Um, out of man, I don't, I do not remember what college, but it's some like small college that you've never heard of. And uh, but you know, he he has a really good contact tool, and uh, like if I'm remembering correctly, he walks more than he strikes out, at least at the collegiate level. And that's one of the you know the Randy Flores signature moves there. The high character, team leader, work ethic that strikes out less than they walk type. So uh, it, it's a great. He's a great non-drafted free agent or undrafted free agent. All right. So here's how good our boy Kyle Reese at Birds on the Black is. Uh, Nick Raposo from Wheaton College, ah. um, out of uh, Wheaton College in Massachusetts. And 65 walks to 39 strikeouts in the majors, uh, 28 walks, or sorry, in NCAA, let, or, uh, let me rephrase yeah. that, at Wheaton. Um, in the uh, 
summer ball in the New England Collegiate Baseball League. He played three summers there. He had uh, another 28 walks to 18 strikeouts. So in all levels of non-professional baseball, we're sitting at a 93 to 57 ratio there. Kit also hit 344 with a 900 plus OPS in that time. Now, granted, I don't know that I've ever heard of a Major League Baseball player from Wheaton College or the uh, New England Women's and Men's Athletic (laughs) Conference, Um, nor do I know that I've heard of anybody from the New England Collegiate Baseball League, although maybe that's just one of those summer wood bat leagues that I don't know about. Um, But, yeah, uh, definitely a... A Flores favorite type guy. It is. It is um, a, a a wood bat league. It's funny because uh, okay. Raposo and Antonini, in my mind, are a lot alike. Antonini swings a left-handed bat. <clears throat> Raposo is a right-handed bat. Uh, but I think they put up man. Uh, Antonini is from Middle Tennessee or Eastern Tennessee, but he's also a Venezuelan kid. He's from Venezuela, and uh, but anyways, they, they both put up like similar type numbers in both the summer league and in college, if I'm remembering correct. And Antonini was a top 20 rounds pick in the back end of the team. But uh, they're both like the same kind of guy. And it's fun to me because if they are the same kind of guy, you can look at what Antonini did at Johnson City in 2019 and kind of get an idea of what Raposa would have done, uh, A, had he been drafted in a, a 40 or what is now a 20-round draft in a day and age when the short season club still existed. So they're, they're a lot alike in their skill set and specifically how they take it at bat, um, if I'm remembering correctly, which I'm probably uh, not. For, <laughs> and for everybody who doesn't know, like me, since I just had to look it up, uh, in Johnson City as a 20-year-old Antonini in 25 games had 16 hits, 9 of 10 of them for extra bases and had 18 walks to eight strikeouts. So good for him. Um, all right. Uh, he also threw an inning out of the, off the mound that year. Oh God, I, I love it. Before I, before I hit close window. Um, all right. So the outfield at Springfield for you, uh, Southwest Missouri, Northeast uh, Oklahoma, Southeast Kansas, Northwest Arkansas type people. <laughs> um Middle Missouri, whoever, wherever you're going to Springfield from, because it's such a tourist trap with all of the uh, cashew chicken and all. Um, Chase Pinder, Nick Plummer, Justin Turner, and David Vinsky in the outfield. Um, honestly, it looks like a bit of hitting on this team. Ivan Herrera, uh, Luke and Baker, Nolan Gorman, Juan Yepes, um, Delvin Perez started to hit a bit more before you know life got shut down. Um, this could be a team that, that could be a little bit a little bit of fun down there in Springfield this year. It's fun. It's it's funny because all I'm ever asked about now is Delvin Perez. Nolan Gorman, Delvin Perez. That's I feel like that's all anybody slides into my DMs about anymore uh, from a fan perspective is is Nolan Gorman and Delvin Perez. And we we really talked very little about I mean relatively speaking about Gorman, and we didn't talk about Perez at all. Um, but yeah, like I look at that outfield of Pinder, Plummer, Turner, and Vinsky, and it makes a to me at least when I see it, I think, oh, Juan Yepes is going to get a lot of time out in the outfield, which is a positive. You know, Chase Pinder had when he was drafted out of uh, Clemson. Oh man, Clemson or Syracuse? I'm blowing up because of the orange. Uh, 
Clemson, I want to say. When Pinder was drafted out of Clemson as a left-handed swinger, he had a really great year at Johnson City, and he just hasn't been able to put it together since. Uh, David Vinsky is just one of those guys that I don't respect at all, even though he's a, a really good minor league like depth piece. He's the kind of guy uh, that will be judged more on the type of bats he takes and the way that he produces. But, you know, the two guys here in the outfield to focus on are Turner and Plummer. And not just, you know, Derek Gould tweeted about it today or wrote about it today about Nick Plummer and how he's really turned, he's turned some heads uh, at uh, extended spring training or minor league spring training. I had heard this a couple months back that maybe Nick Plummer isn't a lost cause. So it's not fair to write Nick Plummer off just yet. And of course, like I mentioned earlier, Justin Turner is one of my personal favorite prospects who plays the outfield with reckless abandon. He'll run into a wall. His season ended on August 13th of 2019 because he ran into a wall and knocked himself silly, but still made the catch. He went over the right field wall in Tulsa. That's about hip high uh, on two consecutive nights. Uh, One, a walk-off home run robbery that took him over the wall. The next night, he just did it randomly. I like for fun. uh, Yeah, just for fun. I'll do this tonight. I'll do this tonight. Um, Uh, But like twice a series, everybody come back and watch. Yeah, yeah, which is really funny because the year before, Lane Thomas did it too. Uh, just mm. once, not twice, but um, yeah. So that I guess, Amateur. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Step up your game. We should have known he was going to suck at the major leagues when he didn't make that second. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like there are plenty of at bats here for Baker and Gorman and Perez and Yepes and Plummer and Turner and also the other guys we didn't mention. And it's going to be a fun offense. That's that's going to be the draw there. And uh, you know. What exactly is Sejas and Roberts, in my opinion? Because I, I like Payante and Walsh and Thomas, etc. All right, so let's shift down to Peoria because you said something about yeah. should be a really fun should be a really fun offense as it applied to Springfield. Is Peoria's ballpark a little smaller and conducive to offense because they have an outfield that could be Alec Burleson, Leandro Cedeno. And Jan Torres. They also have Matt Chamberlain in the outfield. I know nothing about him. Yeah. But the other three, aren't those guys all with light tower power? Potentially. You know, I could be wrong, but I think right. they're about the same size. I think the big difference okay. with Dozer is it's like it's smaller down the lines. I think it's 310 down the lines. Um, but I think other than that, the dimensions are pretty similar. Leandro's been there, and he's struggled there. Uh, Leandro's one of the worst defensive outfielders I've ever seen in my life, and the hope is that with this time off, he's got himself in a better shape. And uh, But no, like for real, and I don't mean to beat on Leandro because he's a, a kid that I really like. He's one of the worst defensive outfielders I've ever seen play the outfield. I mean, he is way worse than Marcelo Zuno was at his worst for the Cardinals, uh, which is funny because Matt Chamberlain, who is another one of those undrafted free agents out of the 2020 draft out of uh, the University of New Haven, which is a real place that people go to, is like a true center fielder who is a... They, they're Wheaton College's biggest problem, <laughs> by the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> God, how funny would that be? But, you know, uh, Matt Chamberlain and uh, Nick Raposo just hate each other. 
They, they can't stand each other. They can't be on the same team. That's why Raposa's on Springfield. Uh, they couldn't put them together. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, Chamberlain is kind of like uh, Scott Hurst in a way. You know, uh, defense first with tools that you can kind of dream on. Again, he's he's that Randy Flores type where he, he walks more than he strikes out. He's a team leader. He's a rah rah says boom kind of kid, high-character kid uh, that seemed to get the most out of their talents. So, yeah, you know, Burleson has never really tapped in his power potential. He has in spurts, but he and Jan Torres, and I think Jan Torres is probably the headliner here offensively, uh, he and Malcolm Nunez, of course, um, along with Brendan Donovan, but that's a whole different thing. Yeah, I was going to get there with those two, but... Yeah, uh, anyways, yeah. just stay in the outfield. Like, Torres and Burleson are going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully Cedeno can rediscover some of that, like, all-around game that he had in 2018 as opposed to 2019 when everything just kind of fizzled out on him. Is Chamberlain the de facto center fielder, basically, then? Yeah, absolutely. My guess is Burleson goes to left, Torres to right, and then uh, DH, you know, sub Cedeno. Okay. All right, so the infield, Brendan Donovan, second baseman, Malcolm Nunez at third, Brady Whalen at first. Is Moises Castillo, Imelda Diaz, or or Chandler Redmond the shortstop? You know, my guess is Chandler Redmond gets time all around the diamond, probably at first and at second. You know, Chandler Redmond's a big boy. He's like six foot one, two forty, but he can actually mm-hmm. handle he handles second base. And in college he handled second base really well. And he probably plays a little bit of third here and there, and there's no reason to not play him in the outfield. Uh, but I would say that Moises Castillo and Imeldo Diaz probably handle shortstop on the regular with uh, okay. Redmond kind of moving around. Okay, so platoon that shortstop a little bit and see who's playing well. Yeah, Imeldo's the better, of the, the more offensively dynamic of the two. Uh, he can be a really good defensive shortstop, but he's also dealt with nothing but inconsistencies for two years. He's the kind of kid who, like, He'll go to a level that he's not talented enough for, to, like he shouldn't be at talent-wise. He should be under, and he'll like overperform the level. And then you send him to a league below where he's at, and he underperforms the level. He like plays up to his talent level. So gotcha. this could be like a good push for him to try to see what he's capable of. You know? Yeah, it sounds to me like he's a guy you just continually push because he's gonna try to try to play with the big boys. And I think that that's the deal there. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, like you were saying, probably just run with a hot hand. Okay, cool. And then they, again, just like Springfield, have three catchers. Uh, I don't know if it's because of injury, if it's because of having 16 pitchers uh, and making sure everybody gets caught well enough, uh, or if it's just they had so many catchers in the system and didn't know what to do with them and didn't want to just drop them. They have Christian Longa, Zade Richardson, and then Pedro Pajes, uh, who is the headliner of the three, if I'm correct. Pajes has a lot of work to do defensively. At least he did. Again, now keep in mind that all this stuff that I'm saying about all of these guys is based on stuff that's two years old. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, two a year and a half to two years old. So last we saw Pedro Pajas, uh, he had, Pajas. A, yeah, I believe it's Pajas. He had a ton of work to do defensively to even get to the point where he would be like an average defensive catcher. He has a really strong arm, but the rest of it is really, really slow. Okay. So uh, my guess is that this will give him a chance to get a, pl- a bunch of rest. 
Uh, Christian Longa, I know nothing about. Uh, Zay Richardson was like a 19th round draft pick in 2019. Uh, he's he's an interesting kid. He went to a community college, so he was able to be drafted younger than most. And, you know, to me, again, minor league depth piece, not to beat up on him, but uh, you can never have enough minor league catching depth. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, I can't give you much on Longa. But uh, I think that's what's going on there. I think that uh, Pejas will get most of the reps behind the plate, and uh, Zade Richardson will probably spell him here and there. All right, so the pitching staff to go along with these offensive players is going to be 16 deep to start the year. Uh, Cole Aker, Ian Bedell, who we've touched on a little bit, Fabian Blanco, Michael Brattel, Logan Gregg. Uh, Logan Gregg is the other of the three that Jack Ralston, Logan Gregg, and Andre Payante that I can't tell the difference between <laughs> for some reason um, because I don't watch them like you do. Um, Nathaniel Heredia, Mac Lardner, Connor Lunn, Ian Oxnavad, Freddie Pacheco, Wilfredo Pereira, Jack Ralston, uh, one of my favorite names in the system, <laughs> Jacob Schlesen, Schlesener, uh, Evan Sisk, and Le- uh, Leonardo Tavares, and Michael Yasenka. Um, let's go. Uh, Ian Bedell is a starter. Uh, Logan Gregg, is he starter or reliever? My hope is that they keep he's, him a starter. But he's the one we think is going to be a reliever. Jack Ralston's the one we are Jack Ralston's the one. See, I get them all confused. Um, Logan Gregg's the starter. Okay. Uh, Ian Oxnavod's a starter, yes? Well, I don't know what the plan is with Oxnavod. Now, Oxnavod, we're talking about all these kids haven't pitched, since, pitched or played since 2019. Ian Oxnavod hasn't pitched since 2018. His last, oh, okay. yeah, his last uh, appearance was September second of 2018, and then he had Tommy John surgery, lost all of 2019, and was ready to come back. And the 2020 year didn't exist, so he's he's a year be, not behind because I don't think that's fair. But uh, you know, I don't I don't know what the plan is with Ox Nevada. I, I don't know if they're gonna be aggressive with him. Uh, he's gonna be a six starter type. He's gonna be a middle reliever that gets a bunch of innings. Um, I, I would say, you know, as we're going through it to put him in the bullpen and then maybe double back around if we only have like four guys. Okay. So I'm going to get stupidly excited and be a complete dork here um, because that's what I do. Uh, pig, piggyback is a piggyback happening here at this level with all these names. Hey, I'd be fine with it. Uh, you know, we talked about this. I, my apprehension with the piggyback has never been apprehension about the piggyback. It's been, my assessment of what I think a team is willing to actually do. And right. so, you know, I, we've seen the Cardinals do it at the minor league level before. Yeah. Back when Mr. Luna was in charge. Right. Right. And he is no longer with us uh, in the, my, in the, in the Cardinals organization. Sorry. Uh, Luna family. I apologize for how I worded that. Um, <laughs> um, so, all right. So who's your starting five and if it were to go piggyback, who'd be your starting eight? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so I would go Bedell. I'd go Greg. Mac Lardner's interesting. He doesn't throw 90 miles an hour. He's another one of those undrafted uh, free agents from 2020 out of Gonzaga who has a really great changeup and a, uh, a potentially average to above curveball that he just doesn't throw well enough. But his fastball is only like 87 to 89. Uh, but does he really command it and we can trade him for Tyler O'Neill? Exactly, exactly. And then he can 
clean up his mechanics and introduce a new pitch and be a stud. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I guess I'm, I'm doubling back around Bedell, Bragg, uh, I would do Ralston, but I don't think they're going to do Ralston and Yasenka. And then, I mean, really Cole Aker could eat up a bunch of innings. Uh, Brettel could eat up a bunch of innings. Heredia could eat up a bunch of innings. Connor Lund was the starter for USC, who I have ticketed for the bullpen. So what you're telling me is you have four four-inning guys uh-huh. and four three-inning guys. Yeah, or four four-inning guys and four four-inning guys. I'm okay with that. <laughs> okay, so I am buying MILB.com or .TV or whatever, and I am solely watching Peoria. All right, um... Moving, uh, well, is there anybody there that just really, uh, really excites you, really kind of knocks your socks off? I know Bedell, you said, is a pitch ability, uh, kind of like Andre Payante, kind of like Angel Rondon at the two levels above him, respectively. Um, anybody else there that you uh, really want to discuss something about? Yeah, you know, uh, quick little, you know, Freddie Pachicho and Wilfredo Pereira are both like 5'11", 5'10". They go about it a little bit differently. Wilfredo Pereira is more of a pitch-to-contract contact pitcher. Freddy Pacheco, uh, Pacheco, or he strikes out people 30% of the time. Uh, while he's 5'11", striking out people 30% of the time. Leandro Tavares is a 6'5", a righty, striking out people 30% of the time. The problem is they just walk like 25% of batters. So, Ooh. yeah, they're, they're interesting bullpen arms that can do a lot of damage, both in a positive and a negative way. I think from a, a starting and practical application standpoint, other than the guys we've already talked about, getting a little bit more in depth, Michael Yasenka and Jack Ralston are going to be the two guys to really key in on here. Because, you know, we've already we've already keyed in on Bedell and Greg and blah, blah, blah. But, like, I'm most interested to see what kind of success Michael Yasenka has. I haven't got to watch much of him other than uh, little clips here and there and also some video that I got from friends down in Johnson City area. Uh who, you know, he just, he dominated Johnson City. He was just too talented for that level. And I'm anxious to see what it's like for him at an age-appropriate and potential talent-appropriate level, especially if he's starting. Like, I'm really, really going to key in on his first start. I'm really excited about his first start. And then Jack Ralston, you know, if is it true that he is not going to get a chance to start? Uh, I've asked the question. I haven't been able to get a, a, an actual real answer on it. But I, I want to see how dominant he can be because if they're going to go bullpen full time with him, that's that's a quick riser. At least in my opinion, you know he doesn't throw with a ton of velocity. Maybe out of the bullpen he can get it up to like 94, 96. Um, you know he's usually low 90s, uh, kind of like Payante a little bit in that regards. But I I just really really love Jack Ralston. I I am intrigued greatly by the Peoria roster. It's probably my favorite roster because of all of these 2020 draft picks and 2019 draft picks who we haven't seen yet or we've seen at the affiliated level on, like, the short season basis. I'm really excited about that. And then, you know, to have some of my personal favorite prospects, you know, Brady Whalen, who probably doesn't have a future beyond Springfield in his career, (laughs) you know, uh, but who is one of my favorites. Uh, Chandler Redman, super interesting because of his size, all the stuff we talked about. You know, Brendan Donovan, I thought for sure would be at Springfield. And it's disappointing to me that he isn't, and Nick Dunn is there. Uh, but at the same time, like, he's a dedicated, smart kid who is going to work to get 
back to that standing. You know, he finished 2019 out at Memphis, only a couple games in Memphis. And uh, my guess is that he'll work his way back up there eventually. But I just really like this team. I, I, I just – this is the team where all of the questions are. You know, all of those questions that I've been asking for 20 months or, you know, yeah. eight months or 10 months, 12 months, you know, if you're talking about the 2020 class, that we'll get to answer along with two of the most exciting international prospects in Malcolm Munez and Jan Torres. All right. I do want to double back on Jack Ralston real quick. Um, do you know the the – I don't think there's probably an official stated reason on Ralston being a bullpen guy. Do you have an inkling as to why, or have you heard maybe through back channels as to why they would go that route with him if you think he should be a starter? I've heard all kinds of stuff. But what I will say is guessing about what I think I know about the Cardinals. He has a very over-the-top and unusual arm slot that takes a lot of effort to get from glove to release point. And I understand, and and I guess this is me hedging for the Cardinals, but I would understand why an organization would say, all right, we need to make sure that this guy who has the potential to be a major leaguer or at least make a major league debut, we need to protect that arm at all costs. And having him pitch 100 pitches every five days just isn't going to cut it, you know, I, I you look at him and you think so, so scary, scarier mechanics in a world of scary mechanics. Yeah, he it's a windmill. I mean, it is a full on windmill, and it's very over the top. And uh, you know, when you look at him, you think, you know, Giovanni Gallegos isn't over the top. Cody Cody Whitley is not over the top, but the deception that comes with it, you know, he's a big tall kid, and he gets great extension. He's right on top of you along with that being over the top, a lot of deception. Uh, I, I just think he like it's easier to project that way, and I think it's about protecting him as well as the investment as well. Okay, a couple more questions on Ralston. Is he, does he have a change-up? Could he be, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the kid from St. Louis who's on the Brewers' name. Devin Williams? Um, yes. Could he have that like airbender is what Pitching Ninja calls it? Man, I, I mean, maybe, but that pitch is so unique and so rare that – yeah, and it's yeah, also yeah. so stressful on the arm. But the, I'm, I, I, you know, the other thing about his time at UCLA is up until the, his draft year, his junior year, and this is something that the Cardinals are doing. It's not exclusive to Ralston, but they are taking and drafting a lot of pitchers that have collegiate years as relief pitchers, who in their junior year become starters, whether whether it be a Friday night starter or a Saturday night starter. Or a Sunday oh night. yeah, we talked about we talked about a kid from Wisconsin or something last time. Mm. Um, no, for real, all these—that's uh, what all these guys are. Um, yeah, yeah, Edgar yeah. Gonzalez is that. Um, I don't know about Bedell. Bedell did a little bit of relieving his freshman year, and then he started sophomore and junior, I think. But uh, that's what happened with Logan Gragg. That's what happened with Jack Ralston, uh, Michael Yasenka. Uh, All—that's pretty much what all of these college drafted players are. Levi Prater too, I think. I, you know, uh, Levi Prater was drafted in the third round of a yeah, yeah, the kid from Oklahoma, right? Yeah, yeah, who lost, and we'll talk about him in a couple minutes. But um, yeah, yeah, like that's that's become part of their mo, and it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. You get the kids who have experienced Division One as a starter and as a reliever, and if they've experienced it as a reliever, uh, then they probably have less innings used on that arm as compared to a lot of other people. So, uh, right. and Ralston fits into that category. 
Cool. Well, thanks for doubling back on him. Let's go to Palm Beach now. So Palm Beach now the low A affiliate, um, partly because uh, it fits with what the Cardinals want to do better with that quote unquote fifth team that they don't get having that minor leagues at their at their you know their GCL ballpark, having it at you know in Jupiter. Um, so the pitchers on that team, they're down to thirteen. They have John Beller, Will. G-U-A-Y, Gue, Gay, I don't know how to pronounce it, Ludwin Jimenez, Francisco Justo, uh, Justo, again, same last name as Salvador up in Springfield, um, Jose Moreno, Edwin Nunez, Luis Ortiz, another one of my favorite names that I don't think I'd ever seen this guy's name before uh, today when I was looking at this, but it's Inohan Paniagua is my guess, uh, Levi Prater, who you just mentioned, we'll talk about, Ramon Santos, Emmanuel Solano, Luis Tena, and Nick, uh, who Nick Trogerlick Iverson uh, has got a rival uh, name-wise, uh, Lars Newtbar for best name in the system. Um, so, uh, you told me before we started there are some guys on there that really intrigue you, and then there's some guys on there who you really know nothing about um, because they're coming over from the Dominican League. Um, how, what did the Cardinals really do here? Like, it seems like they, they combined a bunch of their younger teams and just kind of put together the best of what they could. Yes. And incorporated some of the, the most recent draft picks or undrafted free agent. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know a lot about John Beller. John Beller is an undrafted free agent again from 2020 out of USC, uh, who I just haven't done the groundwork on. It's uh, Jose Moreno <laughs> is recently from the Dominican. Uh, you know, Edwin Nunez is probably the the flashy name here. He's their most recent, like, quote-unquote, big-time pitching uh, prospect from the international class. He's the one who throws 100 miles an hour that everyone asks about all the time. Uh, I think this gives you an idea of what the Cardinals think about him because it makes a lot of sense to keep him away from uh, organized, affiliated, competitive stateside baseball. But here he is at low A. Uh, it, it would make a lot of sense to keep this type of player at the extended complex with like Markevian Hens and Trajan Fletcher. Uh, but here he is on the roster. So that means he's going to get a bunch of innings. Uh, it means that they probably was, think highly of him. I was very surprised to see Trey Fletcher not on a organizational list here. Um, we can get back to that later. Um, who else in this pitching staff? Let's talk about Levi Prater since you brought him up. And then you can maybe touch on a couple of the others after that. Yeah, Prater's fun, you know. Uh, he doesn't do anything particularly amazing. You know, the, the everyone will tell you what the deal is with Levi Prater is he is just, it's all about his character. He lost two fingers in his non-throwing hand in a mo- lawnmower accident. Everyone's heard that by now, I'm sure. Uh, he is a fighter. He is a competitor. He is feisty on the mound. And he's one of these guys that just like uh, in the draft – Maybe, you know, because he doesn't throw 100 miles an hour, because he doesn't, you know, blow you away, he might not have got the the, the, the helium that he necessarily deserved. And it looks like a really good draft pick for the St. Louis Cardinals in the third round. Um, uh, again, he just it's a feisty type of competitor, competitor that the Cardinals always seem to, like, get the most out of uh, and who allows, like – because of his drive, because of the type of person he is, uh, will allow a team to get the most out of him. He will work to um, 
get the most out of his own skill set. And he's he's mostly fastball slider with a low 90s fastball. And uh, I want to say a fringe change. But, yeah, mostly fastball slider. Um, he is a guy who, for the stat nerds out there like me, he is a guy who went to Oklahoma, so he played some good competition in the Big 12. Um, he... His first two years, 2018 and 2019, he struck out around 11 guys per nine, but he also walked about five guys per nine. Um, interestingly in there, he only gave up about six hits per nine. So even though he walked five per nine, his whip was somewhere around 1.2 those first two years. <coughs> the third year there, he well, that second year, he went to the Cape Cod Summer League and absolutely dominated in 19 and two-thirds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only give up nine hits, eight walks, so his whip was under 1.86. Um, struck out 21, so over over a K per inning in the Cape Cod Summer League, Wood Bat League. Um, then he goes back to Oklahoma for his senior year. Uh, it's a shortened season. He only gets four starts. He only gets 23 and two-thirds innings, but he strikes out 33 and only walks 10. Um, so he takes that K to walk ratio from like 2, 2, 2.25, 2.3, up to 3.3. His case per nine up from around 11 to around 12 and a half, and his walks per nine under four. Um, so he made huge strides in the short sample of 2020. Um, and, and maybe he just grew up as a pitcher a little bit as well there. Who knows? Um, that's let, yet to be seen. And that's, uh, and real fast, but, just to interject, that's pretty common of pitchers, yep. collegiate pitchers in that age group. That's usually oh, yeah. when they start maximizing their skill set, especially going through the uh, uh, Cape Cod League. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and so, I'm not saying he made that leap, uh, but but definitely with his character set, with his backstory, um, hopefully an interesting guy to, to keep an eye on the way up. Um, okay, so they have two catchers there, both ones that I've heard of, which is interesting because I've only heard of one of the three in Peoria. Huh. But... But Edgardo Rodriguez and Carlos Soto should be a pretty nice platoon down there. Real fast, before we get to catchers, can we just... Oh, uh, go ahead. Do you mind? Yeah, yeah, I, just, yeah. I just want to give uh, Francisco Justo a little bit of love. He was a 12th-round draft pick uh, out of a JUCO in New Jersey a few years back with a really good fastball and a really good slider that was really good at Johnson City a couple of years ago. He's still really young. He's only like 21 or 22. But he's one of the more intriguing names in this group. Keep an eye on him. I like him a lot. He's another high-character guy. I believe uh, he was going to go to a major university out of high school, and then his family fell on some hard times, had to drop out of school, and then you know get a job, full-time job, to get his family back going, and then went to a community college and was discovered there, or rediscovered there. Uh, so that like that's a really interesting guy. Ramon Santos has been in the organization for a hundred years, and I think it's really interesting. He's going to Palm Beach. That tells me that they they know they're going to need an innings eater there, uh, probably out of the bullpen. Um, Ludwin Jimenez is uh, one of these guys that I'm asked about a lot from other outlets and other uh, providers. Uh, he, again, not not one of my particular favorite prospects in the organization. But uh, the righty is, he does some intriguing stuff, you know, strikes out about a person in inning, and he has really good stuff uh, for his age. I think he's 20, yeah, 20, 19, 20 or 19, one of the two. But uh, that's, you know, that's, that's a name we're keeping an eye on, a name that is definitely on the national scene. 
And then uh, just Will Gway, a lot of really good innings uh, after he was drafted in 2019. And then uh, that 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 Nick uh, Tragerlick Butterscotch Iverson. Uh, <laughs> Butterscotch, new nickname. All right. <laughs> uh, he uh, he's also from Gonzaga, just like Mac Larder, and uh, uh, just another name we're keeping an eye on. Sorry, I didn't mean to double back around there. I just no, no, no. It's good. It's good. And I actually meant to talk about Nick uh, Butterscotch uh, Trugler Iverson, but. Um, I looked him up earlier, and then when you talked about the other guy from Gonzaga, I meant to bring him up when I came around to this and, and lost track of the tab here. But he looks kind of um, kind of interesting. Uh, he looks more of a control guy. Um, his last year at Gonzaga, he walked just three pitchers or three three batters, sorry, in twenty one and a third innings. Um, so one point three walks per nine. Um, three out of 90 batters, so that would be about a 3% walk rate, um, which really good. So it uh, could be an interesting guy to eat some innings if he's more of a pitch-to-contact type. He didn't get nine Ks per nine even, you know, like so not even a strikeout in an inning in Gonzaga. And so he could also be an innings eater down there at Palm Beach, especially in a park that, that plays towards pitchers. Yeah, and if I'm if I'm not mistaken, he was really good in the uh, Cape Cod League or one of those winter leagues. I don't remember which okay. one, but yeah, he okay. that's really where he stood out. So, what do you think about some of these hitters? That I, I feel like there's a lot of position player names that I've heard on this team, yeah. um, and they're going to the hardest place to hit. You've got Patrick Romeri. You've got LJ Jones. So Patrick Mary's been in the system a couple of years. IMG Academy. I'm pretty sure you t- you said yeah. um, he's an outfielder with a lot of tools. A Trey Fletcher type, um, a little more baseball oriented. The Trey Fletcher, from what you've said, uh, LJ Jones is a 2020 draft pick in the outfield. Terry Fuller is a linebacker who hits uh-huh. for power. Um, Addison Cruz, if I remember correctly, is a is a hitter. Um, Mason Wynn, Donovan Williams, Jordan Walker, all on the infield, Edgardo Rodriguez, Carlos Soto at catcher. A lot of names I've heard of starting down in Palm Beach in a very much a hitter's, uh, a pitcher's environment, a hitter uh, kind of uh, void, so to speak. Um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think they've got going on there on the position player side? Yeah, I, I like this offense a lot. Obviously, Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker are going to be the two names that a lot of people are going to be fixated on. And I'm very disappointed that we're only going to be able to watch five Palm Beach games uh, in Bradenton this year. That's that's it. Uh, all the other opponents don't have it. Minor League Baseball, uh, neither MILB TV, neither does Palm Beach. It's only Bradenton. I think it's at the, it's at the end of May. And all of the all of the minor league games this year are in five-game sets. Uh, every series is five games. So, or maybe six games? And that, see, now I'm second-guessing myself. This is how it always happens. But uh, uh, they're all in longer sets. So at least I'll get to be able to watch, like, everybody pitch or most people play in that set. Right. But, uh, but that's it. But, yeah, so, you know, um, Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn are the headliners here. I personally love Todd Lott. I think Todd Lott has a chance to turn a bunch of heads. They have him listed as an infielder, but uh, while he'll play first, I'm sure he's going to play the outfield as well. 
uh, out of UC or UC University of Louisiana Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. He is a god. He's super athletic, and he has a really quick bat with a really direct path. And I'm really hopeful he gets a chance to be on an aggressive trajectory if he's earning it. Um, those are the guys in the infield. Obviously, I'm going to keep the closest eye on. In the outfield, Danson Cruz is like the pure center fielder. You talk about a kid who doesn't hit for a lot of power, who, like, there's no way he's going to hit for power in Palm Beach. There's no way. He was barely hitting for power anyways. He's It's got to be extra bases for him uh, at the most. Uh, Matt Kaperniak is a big-time potential power prospect, uh, undrafted free agent out of the 2020 class. Same thing with Jake uh, Jacob Bookberger. Uh, he's an undirected free agent of the 2020 class. I don't know as much about those guys as I would like. We'll learn more as the season goes on. And then the other outfielders, of course, are Terry Fuller. Everybody knows. I'm asked about Terry Fuller probably as much as I'm asked about Nolan Gorman and Delvin Perez. Um, here's the hoping that he spent his downtime becoming more of a baseball player, uh, understanding the nuances of the game, continuing to refine his swing and uh, get some of those choppy plays out in right field out of his system. LJ Jones, the fifth round draft pick in 2020. Uh, there's real power in that bat, real practical, playable power up out of that bat. And I can't wait to see more of him. He's been hurt a lot. He has kind of that um, uh, uh, Luke and Baker thing about him where he was hurt a lot in college. So you're still learning more and more about him. But he has popped all fields, which is really fun. And then, as you mentioned, Patrick Romary out of IMG Academy is one of my favorite prospects in the organization. I think it's telling that he's at Palm Beach and Trajan Fletcher is still at extended spring training uh, at the complex or whatever they're calling it, minor league spring training or whatever. Uh, Like we all saw this. Well, not we all. I saw this coming. We talked about this. We knew that something like this was probably going to happen because he is a baseball player and the type of baseball player who kind of reminds you a little bit about a, of a young Dylan Carlson, uh, if you were to swap out the contact tool for power, um, but also at the same time, the ability to walk and the ability to hit well above league average as an 18 year old in his draft year, you know, some combination of Brady Whalen and Dylan Carlson, it really feels like, uh, I guess now 19 year old Patrick Romero is. And like specifically, you know, nothing against Francisco Hernandez or Franklin Soto, Donovan Williams, who at one time was a big time second base prospect who really fizzled out. Uh, you know, those are the names that I'm really keeping a close eye on, specifically in the outfield, LJ Jones, Terry Fuller, and Patrick Romero. And then in the infield, Todd Lott, Jordan Walker, and Mason Wynn. And then uh, more so Edgardo Rodriguez and Carlos Soto, although I'm sure both of them will have a really strong timeshare in catcher. So just to give them their fair share, um, other infielders listed on the roster, Jacob Bookberger, Francisco Hernandez, and as you mentioned, Franklin Soto, who I did not earlier. Um, and then in the outfield, we haven't mentioned Matt Kaperniak. Yeah. Um, you know anything about any of those guys, really? Well, like I, you know, I, I briefly mentioned, Kaperniak and Jacob Bookberger are both non-drafted free agents from 2020, yes. who I'm still learning about. Uh they they have a little bit more power potential than the other undirected free agent bats that we've talked about. Um, but again, so every one of the undirected free agents, pitcher, position player, they all are uh, athletic, highly intelligent, highly scholastically decorated, um, high baseball IQ players that the <clears throat> Cardinals signed. So that is a blanket statement that you could put over all of those guys. 
And then, you know, I know a little bit about Franklin Soto and Francisco Hernandez. Uh, but to be honest, like the same kind of thing with those guys as uh, Jose Moreno and, you know, him, Paniagua and uh, Luis Tena. Uh, like, I just I don't know enough about them to feel comfortable really talking about them because I just haven't seen them. All right. So um, enlisting all those guys, you did mention, you did mention. Is there anybody else left off those four rosters that is down? No. Either down at minor leagues free training or at the alternate site that we should discuss. You know, no. No one comes to mind. I, you know, the, the two guys that immediately came to my mind when the rosters were released were Trey Fletcher and Tink Hens, Markevian Hens. And other than that, no. Like, uh, and honestly, I haven't spent very much time thinking about it. And I think the fact that those are really the only names that came to the surface immediately are, are telling. I've had some people ask me about some of the Dominican kids, um, the kids that were playing in the Dominican Summer League in 2019, that a, a couple of them, and I can't remember now, but a couple of them was like, oh, yeah, they put up good stats, but I don't know enough about them to, to be able to really mine and understand if the move makes sense or not. Um, uh, I guess... Um, Luis, uh, Luis Tano, Super Mario Tano, uh, uh, the the most recent like sixteen year old or seventeen year old um, uh, um, uh, international. Oh, he's got three names. Yeah, I, I he's only sixteen. Um, uh, anyways, that kid whose name I don't know. God, I've just there's been so many names. I wrote three articles today, and I've talked about prospects. Um, but yeah, so anyways, that kid, um, he, I, I could see him, maybe the Cardinals getting aggressive with him because for a 16, 17 year old, um, he, uh, Pino, right? Luis Pino, Luis Super Mario Pino. Yeah, that's, his name. that's it. God, Tino. Oh, Tino Martinez, where are you at? Um, <laughs> but anyways, like I, I could see the Cardinals getting aggressive with him and maybe by the end of the year having him at Palm beach. But, uh, no man, you know, without really thinking about it too deeply, there wasn't anybody that I was surprised by. Um, if anything, I'm glad. I'm glad that Trey Fletcher is down there. I'm glad that they're not just going to push him to a level because he wasn't ready for it. That kid at the end yeah. of the 2019 season was not like that. Wouldn't have been a player in college. He just he would have been a redshirt freshman more than likely. He had a lot of work to do, and it's a good thing that he's going to be in the hitting lab. And it's a good thing he's going to be working with all the instructors and learning because he's an athlete first and by a substantial margin as compared to a baseball player. And this is the best thing for his stock and the best thing for the Cardinals in the long run. So uh, I know people are disappointed about it, but I'm happy about it because it's a smart move. All right. So I have two more questions for you, but they're not from me. Uh, last time you were on, I took some questions from 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 cardinals twitter or from people i know you know that wanted to get questions into you that maybe don't get questions in all the time on prospects after dark or just had something at the forefront of their mind when i said hey i'm gonna have kyle on um matt graves asked two interesting questions matt graves of redbird grants um he has been doing some really good work lately um if you leave birds on the black or viva albertos or whatever go over to redbird grants look at what matt graves is doing um and his first question is, since you're about to get back into scouting uh, with the minor league season starting back up, what are some advantages and disadvantages or your preferences on watching on film versus watching in person and vice versa? 
do you prefer one or the other or both for different specific things? Well, you know, I've always done most of my scouting via video. So, like, I prefer that. And I, I also, you know, you, you start talking to scouts, too. And they've been doing so much scouting from the same angle that we have been. And again, like, I'm not scouting. I'm just an asshole who makes comments. Like, I'm not a scout. I, I don't I don't possess the skill set to be a scout. So, but, like, real actual scouts are, are having to watch film. And major league teams are finding out that, sure, you don't get the measurables, but you've got equipment now for all the measurables. And, sure, you can't say all of the time definitively that this guy just has it because uh, uh, you don't get to see every person on every play all the time. You don't get to focus in on every person uh, individually during each play. But for me, like as somebody I've always had to, because I have a full-time job and because I have stuff going on in my personal life and I'm used to coach little league baseball, like I couldn't make the trip as often when I got older, I couldn't go see those places. So in my life, nothing has really changed, and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I think the important thing with everything is to always maintain open dialogue and communication with people who are around and try to listen and learn and try to, you know, not only poke holes in what you were seeing to try to prove yourself wrong, because that's always what I try to do. I'm always trying to prove myself wrong, uh, but also, you know, to to prove other people both right and wrong at the same time that you're talking with, you know, uh, you, you'll hear actual scouts talk about the scouting community. And the reason they call it the scouting community is because all of these people are intertwined. Yeah, sure. Sometimes the scouts for the Colorado Rockies are playing off of the scouts for the Cardinals and the Brewers and the Braves. Uh, but it's still a community and they're still talking. It's just a matter of like how you're holding in and what you're valuing in the communication that you're having with other people. And since I can't be at the stadium and I'm watching on my laptop or my television, if I have an HDMI cable from one to the other, like I, I try to just incorporate as much, like as much of my own thoughts, as much as I've retained into all of this as I can. While, you know, now for the last couple of years, talking to people that I've, I've created dialogue with. But at the same time, knowing what their opinions are and what my opinions are and uh, how to yeah. integrate their ideas into my ideas. So focusing more on you rather than the scouting community and all that for a moment is the other question Matt Graves had was, is there any particular trait that you just love to look for in guys? Not necessarily what you think will be the best Major League Baseball player, but what you enjoy most, like yeah. picking walks having control for a pitcher, et cetera. We kind of mentioned that earlier with pitching about those those guys that just have that feel for the strike zone and, and, and kind of toy with the hitters, those Angel Rondones, those Ian Vidal's, those those others like that. Uh, what, what other things do you enjoy scouting the most? Well, you know, as a fan, the, the two things that I love is I love daddy hacks. I love when a guy's just up there selling out to swing, uh, not as a scout or not as a, somebody who watches baseball, but like, I love watching that. Like, that's so much fun. And then I also like guys who, uh, like, are clearly enjoying the game. But, you know, I know that's dumb, but, you know, uh, Raider Escanio, who is going to be at, uh, at AAA playing shortstop on a regular basis, like, 
He's a fiery player. He's going to start some crap during games with opposing players every once in a while, specifically if he gets hit. But he's out there with the flair for the game. He's running around and diving and smiling. And, you know, Edmundo Sosa was another one of those guys. You they, They'd pan to him in the dugout, and he'd be dancing and smiling and having fun. Like, I think those traits are very, very important. Uh, and they're also what I enjoy watching. Uh, the, the daddy hacks aside, obviously, you don't want a guy up there just swinging for the fences all the time. And just, <laughs> but, like, I enjoy, I still enjoy seeing it. I love watching Leandro Cedeno or uh, hopefully Matt Kaperniak or uh, Matt Chamberlain or whoever. Like, I just – I want to see – like, I, I, whoever it is, I just want them comfortable in what they're doing. I want to see that they're having fun. And I know that's dumb, but, like, I understand the – the bogging down that comes with mental anguish during both a sporting event and work. And to me, because I'm, I work with a group of people and it kind of feels like a team sport on a regular basis. I understand what it's like to have to work with your own personal weight on your shoulders. So one thing that I love to see that might not be something that, that is definitely not something that's reflected on the box score. That is definitely not something that, you know, you can point to as like, Oh, he's got good lateral motion or, he takes a great first step or his footwork is never wrong or he gets, you know, he has good timing and rhythm in his throwing motion. Uh, I love to see that a guy likes playing baseball and that it's not the kind of Lane Thomas-esque carrying it with him to and from. Uh, to me, like, that's one thing. And it's, it's not something that's easy to see, specifically when you're talking about camera angles in minor league stadiums with minor league teams and minor league players. Uh, but Memphis is really good about like showing the dugout. I don't know if they will now because of COVID and all that stuff and because of yeah. the new rules and regulations just with MILB being back underneath MLB's flagship pretty much uh, and some of the uh, the requirements that they have for the, the broadcast from what I understand. Uh, but like that's what I want to see. I want to see when a guy bobbles a play and does something goofy, he's laughing about it, not that he's shaking his head and uh, uh, looking down. Like, those are some weird, dumb traits that I really like because most of the time, uh, those are the kind of guys who can really work through anything. And then, you know, of course, yeah, like, I like nasty breaking pitches. Just like with anybody else, we're all beings that enjoy aesthetically pleasing things. It's just a matter of what we find aesthetically pleasing. And nasty breaking pitches are awesome. Uh, Heat heat that that hitters are a mile behind is awesome. Uh, repeatable mechanics are so important. You know, hoping that the camera is staying in the same spot and just focusing on a release point, you know, using a pencil tip and just being like, all right, this is where he released this pitch. Let's see and hope that, A, the camera stays in the same place and he keeps pitching uh, from the same spot and the same spot and the same spot. Uh, like, that's all really important. And then if a hitter is up there flinching all the time, I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, as, as always, Kyle, great stuff. Um, I, I, I could talk baseball with you for days, but um, unfortunately, you know, humans have to eat and sleep and and go to work. Um, We are an hour and 45 minutes in, so I think we should probably let this one go to rest tonight. Um, Just uh, so thank you for coming on. I do appreciate it. Thank you for reaching out today to say, hey, we should we should really do this uh, via the airwaves instead of you writing any more today. Um, so I appreciate you reaching out. Um, 
All right, so the Cardinals have 16 more games this month. Um, I, I do expect to get another CWC done before the end of the month, but um, seeing as though this is the first conversation with on in the month with it being only May 2nd, uh, Cardinals are 2-0 this month, uh, 16 and 12 overall. Um, when I guessed at the beginning of the year, I had us 15 and 13 after this series, so where I came ahead or where I thought. Um, I have the Cardinals going 15 and 13 this month. Oh. Um, and so uh, this month has 16 out of 28 games on the road. Three of them are in Milwaukee. The Cardinals have typically been quite poor there. Uh, we have to go to San Diego and play the Padres, who are very good. We have to go to the White Sox and play Tony La Russa and that band of youngsters. We have to go out to the desert and play four against Arizona, and we have to hit L.A. at the end of the month and starting next month. And so, um, you know, me not feeling too wonderful about this month um, doesn't mean the Cardinals won't play well necessarily. Um, we do get two more against Pittsburgh. We get three against the Cubs as well at home. We get three against Colorado. Uh, the next four against the New York Mets could be interesting. I don't know if we get the Brom or not. Uh, it should be a fun, fun May, month of May here. Um, and should be a fun month of baseball and some good stuff going on. I would love to see the Cardinals get 30 wins by the end of the month. That would put us on a pretty good track to hit the 90 uh, With the Cardinals playing as well as we have lately, uh, we are sitting at four months. Eight wins in their last six games. Uh, it's been unhesitating. Uh, for Kyle, for me, for Birds on the Black, for everybody involved in this, Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you made it through all 100, 708 minutes oh. of this. And thank you for doing so. Have a wonderful evening.